And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Masked Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's one of the strangest and eeriest radio shows ever broadcast on Quiet Please, starring Ernest Chappell from 1948. Then is Gildersleeve moving into a haunted house? We'll find out on part one of The Great Gildersleeve, starring Hal Perry from 1943. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. And look who's over there. Who? It's Mike Costella, dressed up uh, in a Halloween costume. Sure, why not? How's it going, guys? <laughs> Good. Hey, we're Mike. playing. Uh, we're playing like scary and uh, funny, scary radio shows uh, throughout the month of October here on Hollywood 360, and that's exactly what we have to start things off—a very creepy, scary horror show called Quiet Please. It ran for two years, 1947 through 1949. It was created by Willis Cooper, who also created Lights Out. Ernest Chappell was the show's announcer, and he was also the lead actor in nearly every episode. Cooper's earlier Lights Out was famous for gruesome stories and sound effects. Quiet Please was more subdued, slower paced, but just as frightening. Chapel would underplay it by speaking softly, quietly, terrifyingly. It aired on Mutual and ABC without a sponsor through its 106 episodes. The show we're going to play right now is probably the most uh, creepiest of the series. It's called The Thing on the Forble Board. It stars Ernest Chapel. It's from August 9, 1948. Here's part one now of Quiet, Please. Quiet, please. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called The Thing on the Furble Board. Me, I'm a roughneck. Well, I was a roughneck, I mean, 20 years ago. A little too old, too slow now. Besides, I got a dollar now. I don't have to be a roughneck, you see. Married, got a nice home. Have to meet my wife. Hey, Mike. Her name's Maxine, but she likes to be called Mike. Mike! I guess she's busy out in the kitchen someplace. Besides, she doesn't hear very well. Shame, too, she's so pretty and everything. Well, you'll meet her. Sit down. I was saying I was a roughneck. Well, no, that doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. A roughneck is an oil field worker, specifically a guy in a drilling crew. Call them roughnecks like you call a section hand on the railroad a gandy dancer, a garage hand a grease monkey. Same time you work around a drilling crew for a while, you're going to be a roughneck in every sense of the word, boy. A derrick floor or a forble board is no place for a guy with a bow tie. Because... 
Yeah, when you have to fool around with drilling holes that go farther down the ground than it is from the top of Pike's Peak down to sea level. Yeah, sure they do. The time I was a roughneck, we got this one well down to 7,313 feet. That was a record. But last May, Pure Oil brought one in out in the Trona Valley in Wyoming at 14,309 feet. That friend is almost three miles. Quite a hole, that, huh? Sure, I don't think there's an all man in the world that don't wonder one time or another what's down there besides rock and oil and gas. Oil that's made out of trees that died 20 million years ago. Oil that's made out of dinosaur bones. Oil that's maybe made out of the flesh and blood of men, maybe, that beat each other to death with a stone axe. Ate saber-toothed tiger for lunch. Yeah, you get to wondering. You look at the cores that come up from way down there, and sometimes the little shells, trilobites mostly, that was alive when Manhattan Island, where New York is, was under half a mile of ice. We found something once, me and Billy Grunewald, and something found us. I'll tell you about it. We were down to around 5,400 feet. We'd set casing. We began to get water, so we had to stop drilling and cement off. Well, you see, when water begins to seep in the hole, you pull your drill pipe, then you let down a cementing shoe inside the casing, and you plug up the bottom of the hole, casing and all, with quick-hardening waterproof cement. Then when it's hard, you drill through the cement and go on down, and the cement outside the casing at the bottom keeps the water out. Well, we had the drill pipe all pulled and cracked. The cement was setting, see? So we was shut down, waiting for it to harden. We'd been coring just before. Well, you see, a, a core drill is hollow. And as the bit digs down, it stuffs the drillings up inside it, so when you pull it out, you got a sample of the kind of stuff you're going through. And a geologist can tell a lot from that. So there's nobody around the rig except me that night. The rest of the crew's going into town. I was toasting some pork chops over the forge for myself, but I heard a car pulling up. Look out, it's Billy Grunewald, the geologist, and I give him a hello. Hi, Billy, come and have a pork chop. Hi, Porky. Ah. Where's everybody? Yeah, all went to town. I'm the whole crew. You know, I had three blowouts between here and Oxnard. Yeah, I wondered where you was. Ted said you'd been here about three. Yeah, I would have been, except for my tough luck. Oh, oh I'm dead. Yeah, hungry? Starved. Yeah, I got six, oh, seven pork chops. And bread. And some coffee, kind of. Swell. Yeah, I got a bottle in the car. <laughs> We're going to have a banquet. Hey, where's that core? That's what I came up here to look at. Yeah, back there on the bench. Look at it after supper. Hey. What? Didn't you say you were all alone here? Uh-huh. I thought I heard somebody talking. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody. Keep an eye on that pork chop. You won't have any supper. Yeah, I'm watching it. Yeah, let me put the coffee on. Like so. When did you finish cementing? This morning. Last tower only made about ten feet of holes, so Ted shut down before we get flooded out of house and home. Funny about that water. How? Oughtn't to be any at that level, according to my figuring. Well, there is. Is it salt? Sure, right out of the bottom of the ocean. Hmm, that's funny. Well, maybe I'll be able to tell something from the core. Yeah, I hope so. Well, last core I looked at, I'd have sworn we were getting into shale. Ain't seen none yet from the cuttings. That's funny. Here, your pork chop's done. Yeah, take some bread. Yeah, thanks. Oh, man. Good, huh? <laughs> yeah, put on another. I had two already before you come. Yeah, much obliged. 
Yeah, you know, you never can tell what's down there. You get it all mapped and plotted out, all the straighter. And all you know is what comes out of the hole. Yeah. I'd like to go down there sometime if I was little enough. <laughs> never get you down a hole. Yes, you'd fit. You're skinny. I'll stay up here and look at the cores, bud. Where is that one? Behind you. Over there. Hmm? Oh. Well, I'll have a look at it. Well, why don't you wait you finish your supper? I'm just going to look at it. Uh, put on another pork chop for me. Okay. Well, I wish I was screech out of What's the matter? Hey, wait a minute, Porky. Well, why do you... Listen. What's eating you? You know, I'd have sworn there's somebody up there in that portable board. Ah, you're crazy. There's nobody up there. You're going to get those stands of drill pipes. Ah, they're just rack crooked. One of them slipped. Come on back and eat your pork chop. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Only I... Ah, what's just so jittery about Billy? Come on, eat your sandwich. Here. Yeah, well, thanks, Porky. I don't know. I, I'm just naturally that way, I guess. I'm always scared of the dark. I'm scared. Doggone it, I, I hate to be a baby, but I can't help it. Scared of the dark? Honest? Stupid, ain't it? Oh, I don't know. Everybody's scared of something. Me? Spiders scare the tar out of me. Black widows. Oh. <laughs> I know how you feel, Billy. There another light over here? Yeah. yeah. Here. Ah. Oh. That's better. Hey, listen, uh, Porky. Go out to the car and look in the left-hand door pocket and bring back that bottle, will you? That's what I need. Okay, kid. Okay. So I picked up a flashlight. I turned around and went outside. I found a car. And I got the bottle. And the floor of the derrick was all lit up. And when I saw a beam of light suddenly flash up toward the forble board, I laughed. <laughs> Billy Grunewald and his ideas... Sure, I looked up. There wasn't a darn thing up there, except the drill pipe racked against the fingerboard. Oh, this, uh, Forbel board. Well, you've seen oil derricks or pictures of them. Do you know that little platform that runs around the outside of the derrick about halfway up? Well, that's the Forbel board. Well, you see, drill pipe comes in lengths, and you handle them with several lengths screwed together so as to save time getting them in and out of the hole. Two lengths is a double, three is a thribble, four is a forbel. When you pull the pipe, you heist it up inside the derrick of the traveling block, which moves up and down from the crown block at the top of the derrick. Then when a four-bullet pipe is pulled out, it's held in the rotary table. You break the joint with tongs, like a great big Stilton wrench, you see. Snub a cable that's fastened to the handle over the cat head on the draw works, and that breaks the joint. Then you hold the tongs on the pipe, give the rotary table a few turns to unscrew it. You heist away with the traveling block and swing it over against the fingerboard, lean it against the derrick. The guy up on the forbal board takes off the traveling block. You do it all over again. You got all the pipe out, you see? Well, there wasn't anybody up on the forbal board uh, except a screech owl, and it flew away. So Billy turned his light off, and I come on inside. And just as I come up the steps, he let out a yell. Yay! What's the matter? What's the matter, Billy? Hey, come here. Look here. Well, what's it? Look, Porky. My... Where did you find that? Now, listen, Porky, I give you my word. That was embedded in the core. Why, it couldn't be. I tell you, it was. 
Look where I dug it out. Do you know what? That rock there comes from a mile underground. And it's been a mile underground for a million years. And look at this. And I did look. And what he was holding was a gold ring. And it was all carved and filigreed, just like jewelry. And there wasn't any kidding about it. It was real. No, 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 wait a minute. Hang on, I ain't done. I poked at the core of rock that looked like a uh, kind of petrified salami or something. And then it was my turn to pretty near jump out of my pants. Because right alongside the place where Billy dug out the ring, there was a mud-covered but very unmistakable finger. I picked it up, and it was cold, and it was heavy, and it was solid rock. At least it felt like solid rock. And I looked at Billy, and Billy looked at me. He started to rub the mud off this here stone finger. And as he rubbed it, it began to disappear. No, he could, he could still feel it, he said, but when the mud was gone, neither one of us could see it. And he dropped it to the derrick floor. It went clunk, and we couldn't find it any place. So you know what we've done? When we took that bottle and we took and finished it, Billy and me, we finished it in one slug of piece, and it was a full pint of bathtub gin. It tasted just like so much well water to me. And then we sat down on the derrick floor and we looked at each other. We didn't say a word. My eyes got heavier and heavier. The last thing I remember was I heard some kind of noise that seemed to be coming up from down the forbal board 80 feet above us. I shut my eyes a minute. I guess I went to sleep. And I had awful dreams. Black Widow... Spiders crawling all over me with gold rings on their legs. Things I could hear but I couldn't see up on the forbal board. Billy Grunewald climbing up the ladder outside the derrick in the moonlight. Faces looking at me and I couldn't figure out who they were. Then I was waked up by a horrible scream. The crash inside me that shook the whole derrick. I opened my eyes to see Billy Grunewald lying on the floor two feet away with a broken neck. With a broken neck and his left hand. Well, he put the gold ring on the little finger of his left hand and the way his arms were spread out, his left little finger and the ring were gone. Well, friend, I got out of there. I ran down to where Billy had left his car and I got in. I stepped on the starter. And I couldn't get it to go, and then I remembered after I'm pretty near run down the battery that Billy had taken a key. I wasn't going up there and go through a dead man's clothes to get it. So I sat there in the car and shivered all by myself till daylight. And then Ted and the crew came. Afterwards, a state cop, and everybody in the world was asking me questions. Did you and Billy have a fight, Porky? I told you we didn't, Ted. But you had been drinking. We only had that little pike, Ted. Oh, what was he doing up on the foreboard board? Did you threaten him, and did he run up there to get away from Listen, you? Listen, cop, don't be a chump. Billy Grunewald and I were good friends. Then why'd you push him off the four of a board? I didn't, I tell you. 
I, I wasn't up there. Well, what did he go up there for? I don't know. I was asleep. How do you know he was up there? I didn't say he was. You said so. Besides, how would he break his neck if he didn't fall from way up there? Well, look, officer. I think it was just another accident. I mean, we haven't got anything on Porky, and personally, I don't believe he did it. Well, so. that's mighty mysterious. Well, so it is. But we got work to do. Now, how about it? That cement's hard down there. I want to start drilling again, and I'm short-handed. Will you let Porky stay here till I run in my pipe again, and, well, then you can take him and ask him questions till you're blue in the face. Well, uh... okay. Let's get rolling. You got steam up, Happy? I'm all set. All right. Porky, you go from the formal board. What? Not me, Ted. Oh, don't be such a boob. There's nobody up there to shove you overboard. Now you can put a safety line around you if you want to. And besides, you're getting paid to do what you're told. I've lost too much time already. Come on, get going. So, okay, I go up on the formal board. And you can bet I took a good gander around before I did anything else. Now I couldn't see a thing. So I signaled to the driller to let down the traveling block, and he did. Came sailing down from up above. I was just reaching for it to pick up the first four-bullet drill pipe. Gave a big jerk, and the cable broke. It dropped and nearly pulled me off the four-bullet. And it landed right on top of Ted. And if you have any idea what a guy looks like after two tons of metal land on him from 80 feet up, you keep your ideas to yourself. Well, that was enough. Two accidents in a row. The whole crew quit. They, they wasn't going to wait for a third. And it was Ted's money that was paying off. There wasn't any more. And as far as I know, the abandoned Derek is still there. And that was 20 years ago. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. That traveling block was right in front of my face when it broke loose. It was hanging by steel cable, three-quarter inch steel cable. And I saw that cable break right before my eyes. It looked just like a piece of string when you snap it between your fingers. I could almost see the fingers. You know what? There was something up there on the formal board with me. And so a couple of days later, I came back. I, I don't know if there's anything in the world as desolate, as dismal, as dead-looking as an abandoned oil well rig. There it stands like a skeleton off on a deserted side road in the bare yellow hills surrounding it, and it's the deadest thing you ever saw. I sat in my car for a long time looking at it. Everything was just the way we left it. I, I looked in at the floor. The smashed traveling block was there alongside the rotary table. There was a little mutter of steam from the boiler. That was all. Then I heard a tinkle of something as it hit the ground alongside me. I looked around. There wasn't a soul in sight. But at my feet was a gold ring that Billy Grunewald and I had found in the core of rock that came from a mile underground and from a million years ago in time. And I heard a little sound. The sound of a kid crying. And there wasn't any kid up there. I heard it again, and it came from above my head, and, and I and I took out my revolver. I loaded it carefully. I started up the ladder to the forble board. No, well, there wasn't anything up there, nothing I could see. There was a voice crying. The voice of a little kid. And then there was a movement behind the rack of drill pipes, and I saw the pipe move, and I yelled, Come out of there, whoever you are! 
I'll start shooting. And the stand of pipe shivered. And I thought, what can it be that can handle that heavy pipe like, like Jack Straw's? And then there was a crash. The whole stand of pipe fell over and I just got out of the way in time. And I was alone on the forbo board with the thing. But I couldn't see it. I felt the platform tremble under my feet again as something moved toward me. I fired two or three shots. And nothing happened. I started backwards. I knew it was following me because I could hear it meowing like a cat. My feet tripped over something. I saw it was a big can of red lead that somebody had left up there. Without thinking, I picked it up and I threw it at the sound and it splashed. That's the first portion of Quiet, Please. More after these words. Cashback match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to Quiet, Please. And there it was. And I wish I... I wish... The face of a little girl, frightened... Crying with hunger and terror. Hands like a human being and a finger missing from the left hand. And a body. I'll not tell you about that. I told you how I'm scared of spiders. But I knew where it came from. It had come from the bowels of the earth, come riding up on the drill pipe as we yanked it out of the well. Come to an alien world and was lost. It stood there dripping with red paint, blood red from head to foot like some horrible dream. And it put its hand on my arm. Its hand was stone, living, moving stone. And it looked into my eyes and mewed like a lost kitten. Twenty years ago, I discovered many things about it, what it used for food, that it was deaf, that it was invisible and couldn't see people when it was invisible, that if you sprayed it with mud or paint or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. And believe me, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face, I can't help wanting to see that pathetic Little girl face. I'm afraid maybe I've fallen. Ah, but it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... 
but making it up, rubbing grease paint on a stone face that looks at you and smiles and it makes sounds like a lost kitten yet. I can disguise the body in long dresses. She can't hear very well, and when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, no, sit still. Sit still, do. Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike. Mike. There she is. Come on in, dear. The title of tonight's Quiet Please story is The Thing on the Furble Board. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper and featured Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Billy Grunewald. Pat O'Malley was Ted. And Cecil Roy was also a member of the cast. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Sound? Sound by our good friend Albert April. Now, for the word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Well, I'm reasonably sure that all the characters in tonight's stories were completely fictional. At least I, for one, hope so. Next week, the story is called Presto Changeo, I'm sure. And so, until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. And that's Quiet Please from August 9th, 1948, with The Thing on the Forble Board, starring Ernest Chappell. That was heard on Mutual. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, before we tune in to part one of The Great Gildersleeve, I want to remind all of our listeners... To join the Classic Radio Club, right? What are they waiting for, Lisa? I don't know. I think people are joining in droves and they droves are. They because really are. now is the time. Yeah, you know what? You get a surprise package sent to your home every single month. And what's in that package? Well, five CDs with ten classic radio shows that I'm going to pick especially for you. I'm picking ten shows every single month, and these ten shows are the best of the best of the best from my library of over 100,000 shows. You're going to get the biggest stars, the biggest uh, radio shows, the most interesting shows, and I'm going to write very copious liner and historical notes for each one of these shows. And it gets sent to you in the mail. And uh, the very first time you join, you only pay $4.99 for these five CDs, 10 classic radio shows. The value is $40. So do check it out. Go to Classic Radio Club. Dot com classic radio club dot com and I know you like getting a surprise package I sure do I've got my first two months and I'm looking forward to month three coming up and the fun thing is it just comes with my mail to my door and I appreciate that I don't know exactly when it's coming but when it does I am really excited to get it you know what this next one that you're gonna get mm-hmm. Lisa you're gonna love it because there's a my favorite husband in there I knew that I just haven't my received it my favorite yet. husband yeah every single month ten different shows you'll never get a duplicate show for as long as you're a club member and it's a way for all of our listeners to join a club be connected with us it's really fun folks go to classic radio club 
GilderSleeve.com, ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, it's time now for the great Gildersleeve on this show. Is he going to move into a haunted house? I hope not. Ah, we'll see. Let's go back to May 16th, 1943. Here's part one of the great Gildersleeve. Company will also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night. Present each week at this time Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore. Now on to Summerfield, where we join that illustrious citizen and industrious lover, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. And where do we find him? Well, love is funny. The door that yesterday was slammed in your face today flies open at your approach. And so we discover the Great Gildersleeve and his lady love once more together, seated on the sofa in his living room. Gazing into the future and laying plans for the event that is shortly to make him the happiest man in the world. Leela. Yes, Throckmorton. A penny for your thoughts. Oh, Gracie. My poor little old thoughts, they're hardly worth a penny. Well, you know me, I'm a spendthrift. (laughs) (laughs) Silly. I'll tell you what I was thinking, though. I was thinking you and I are going to have to go and look at furniture one of these days soon. Furniture? What for, Leela? I've got more furniture now than you can sit on. I know, Throckmorton, but after all... What's the matter with it? Well, I guess there's nothing really the matter with it, but it just hasn't any style. Oh, no. It's true, Throckmorton. Take that easy chair there. That's my chair. I know, and look at it. What's the matter with that chair? I like it. Oh, but look at the shape of it. That short little back and that great enormous seat. Well? (laughs) There's always a reason for everything, Leela. You know, the trouble with you, Throckmorton, you've been a bachelor so long, you're setting your way. No, I... Yes, you are. But after we're married, things will have to be a little different. Now, this house, then. All right, I'll admit the house needs painting. That's all right with me. Well, that's not quite what I was thinking, Throckmorton. No? What were you thinking? Well, you know that big white house on the edge of town out toward the country club? The one that sort of set back among the trees with a big lawn in front? You mean the old Burton place? I guess so, yes. Well, I understand it's for sale. Of course it's for sale. It's been empty for three years. Leela, you weren't thinking of moving out of this house. Well, it's a nice house and all, Throckmorton, but it is kind of old-fashioned. I like it. Well, it's it's old-fashioned without being really antique, if you know what I mean. I like it. I just thought you're doing so well now and all. And Judge Hooker says he frankly doesn't think this place is suitable for a man of your position in this time. Oh, he doesn't. Well, you tell Judge Hooker not to worry himself about me. I'm not moving out of this house no matter what he thinks. Even if you knew that... No, that's my final answer, Leeler. I wouldn't even consider it. Well, all right, darling. If that's the way you feel about it, I won't say another word. I, I hope you don't think I'm just being stubborn. Darling, the house is already forgotten. All I want in the world is for you to be happy. You know that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> After all, you're my lord and master. <laughs> or you soon will be. Lord and master. (laughs) (laughs) And give me a kiss. Throckmorton. Yes, honey? Would you do something for me? Anything, my love. Something awfully sweet? Anything. What is it? Would you shave off your mustache? (laughs) Uh, Shave it off? But, Leela... Just to see how it would be. You can't tell. It might make you look younger. Younger? Yes, You don't want people to think of me as an old man's darling. Uh, 
Leela, you don't think of me as old. Of course not, Throckmorton, but I'd just like to see how you'd look without it. No, sir, nothing doing. I just wouldn't be me without my mustache, Leela. Very well. In that case, would you kindly move over, Throckmorton, and give me a little room on this sofa? Oh, now, Leela. You said you'd do anything I asked. You promised. Leela, why do you have to change everything? Can't you love me the way I am? Well, I don't think you can love me very much. All I ask you to do is to shave off a little old mustache... I'm not asking you to buy any new furniture. I'm not asking you to move. All right. Besides, it tickles. <laughs> all right, Leela, all right. I'll shave it off. Delilah. Well, good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Wasn't expecting to see you for another week or ten days. I know, I know, but here I am. Floyd, I want you to shave off my mustache. What? You heard me. Let's get at it because I'm a busy man. All right, Commissioner, but I don't mind telling you I hate to do it. Never mind that. Lather me up. Okay, okay. You're the doctor, but I'll tell you why I say that. It was some years ago when I had my other shop over in Ashton. One day a fellow came in. He was quite a character in town, sort of public figure. A little on the stout side, like yourself. I suppose what's under your vest is laundry. <laughs> no offense, Mr. Gildersleeve, no offense, but this fellow had been wearing a mustache all his life. 30 or 40 years. All of a sudden, he come in and asked me to shave it off. That's why I came in, too. Oh, and two shakes. Have to strop a little. Of course, I was just a young fellow then. I didn't know what to know now. Full of beans, no brains. I never gave it a second thought. Just went right ahead and shaved his mustache like it was hay. Come on, Floyd. I haven't got all day. When I was through, the fellow took one look at himself. Then he put his hand over his face, ran out of the shop, tore down to the depot and bought a ticket and left town in the next train. He didn't come back till three months later, and by that time, he had a new mustache. I was the only fellow in town that ever saw him without it, and he never spoke to me again. So I hate to shave off your mustache, Mr. Gildersleeve, but here she goes. Uh, Floyd, let's not rush into this thing, huh? No, sir? No, just trim off a little at each end so I can see how that'll look, huh? Oh, slow and easy. I got you, Mr. Gildersleeve. About uh, this much, say? A little less. About this much? A little more. There. Uh All right, now sit still. There. Now, if you cover up the other end with your finger, you can get an idea. Uh, I'm afraid to look, Floyd. Go ahead and even her up. All right, now sit still. There. Well, how do you like it? I don't know. What do you think, Floyd? It's hard to say. Makes you look different, all right. Well, if it ain't Judge Hooker, come on in, Judge. Morning, Floyd. Well, Gildersleeve, what on earth? <laughs> Whose idea was this, your lady friend? Never mind, Hooker <laughs> Maybe I better call her up and tell her to get ready for a shot You stay away from her, you've made enough trouble already What do you mean? What's the idea of putting bees in her bonnet about my house not being good enough for me? I didn't say it wasn't good enough for you I said it wasn't good enough for a man with political ambitions What do you mean by that? Well, it seems obvious enough Man wants to be president, it's all right to be born in a log cabin, but the time comes when he has to get out of it. Isn't that right, Floyd? Well, you I... You stay out of this, Floyd. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the first place, Hooker, I'm not in politics. In the second place, the voters choose a man for his ideas, not his residence. Maybe so, Gildy, maybe so, but look at Congressman Abernathy. His house looks exactly like Thomas Jefferson's, and that impresses the voters, doesn't it, Floyd? Well, I... You don't... stay out of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hooker, when I get ready to run for Congress, I'll buy a Jeffersonian house. Until then... All right, Gildy, all right. But there's a house on the market now that'll be just right. May not be there by the time you throw your hat in the ring. They're talking about you for Congress in 44, you know. 
May I? Definitely. Who? I can't tell you. Yes. But if uh, you were to get your hands on that old Burton place... Well, maybe I'll think it over, Judge. So long, and thanks for the tip. Uh, Mr. Gildersleeve, did you say tip? What? Uh, Oh, here you are, Floyd. (laughs) Hi, Unc. Say, what's going on? Going on? What are you talking about, Leroy? Somebody's been sabotaging your mustache. Yes. I simply had a trim. Is supper ready? Any minute, Freddy says. Very well. Uh, come in and sit down here for a moment, my boy. I, I want to talk to you. Me? Yes, you. Gosh, Unc, I don't think you got a thing on me right now. <laughs> I'm not accusing you of wrongdoing, young man. Is that the only subject you can think of for conversation with me? Well, it seems to come up pretty often. <laughs> but if you just want chit-chat, I'll tell you about the horror picture I saw this afternoon. The Mummy's Claw. Mum, I don't want any chit-chat. It's about a mummy that came back to life as a zombie. That's enough of that. But, Unc... Leroy, I want to ask you a question. Uh, are you happy here in this house? Well, well, sure. Yeah, I like it fine, Unc. You're not thinking of throwing me out, are you? (laughs) No, Leroy, I love you very dearly. Some of the time. (laughs) What I want to know is, would you like it if we moved to some other house in another neighborhood? and the gang? Well, you can still see him now, man. Oh, please, Unc. We don't want to move. It's swell here. Hello, Uncle Mort. What about supper? Any minute, Marjorie. I was just talking to Leroy. You look peculiar, Uncle Mort. Mm-hmm. What have you done to yourself? Nothing. It's his mustache. Well, it gets awfully hot in the summer, Marjorie, so I just thought... Oh, that... I think it looks cute. Well, thank you. Hey, Marge, you don't want to move to a new house, do you? New house? Now what's got into you? It's to me. Nothing. It's Uncle Mort. Leroy, I'll handle this. What is this? You're not thinking of leaving this house. Well, not exactly, my dear. It was, uh, well, I just wanted to get your reaction. Oh, but Uncle Mort, well, I've lived in this house for more than 20 years. Leroy was born here. I love it. I love every room, every squeaky board in the stairs, every rattle in the window. All right, my dear, all right. I just thought you might like a little more room. The old Burton house, for instance. Burton's? Oh, my gosh, Uncle, it's got three acres of lawn. <laughs> from anywhere. Oh, it's not so far. Oh, I know why you're thinking about moving. Leela Ransom wants to live in the Burton house. That's what it is. Oh, but Marjorie, it was just a suggestion. I bet it was her idea fooling with your mustache, too. I don't like that now, either. Uh, Supper's ready. My dear, if you don't want it, we won't move to the Burton house. My land, did you say move in the Burton house? Now, Bertie. Because if you're going to live in that house, you have to revise your kitchen personnel. Hey! <laughs> but, Bertie, what's the matter with the Burton house? Mr. Gilsleeve, I don't want you to think I'm superstitious, but that house is haunted. It's haunted? Why, that's nonsense. Whatever gave you that idea? Well, everybody knows that old Mr. Burton shot old Miss Burton in that house, and one time I was walking past it with a gentleman friend, and we heard the scariest noise I ever heard in my life. Uh, what kind of a noise, Bertie? Well, like something out of this world. <laughs> Leroy! That's the exact sound, Leroy. Sure, that's the noise of a zombie that used to be a mummy. Stop it, Leroy. That's horrible. (laughs) Bertie, when you and your gentleman friend heard this sound, didn't he investigate? No, sir. By the time he caught up with me, we were two miles away. (laughs) I'll go. Fine time for anybody to be calling on Bye, George. Here he is. It's supper time again. 
Uh, hello, Judge. I can't stay, Throckmorton. I stopped in to tell you I just found out that Burton Estate would be willing to make a substantial reduction uh, uh, on that. Uh, Judge, I have decided not to go into that any further. Oh, so it was Judge Hooker's idea for us to move. What's going on here? What do you mean, my dear? Well, why is everybody trying to get us out of this house? Now, Marjorie, I just found out that the Burton Estate is willing to make your uncle a very favorable offer. Estate? By George, I begin to see the light. Estates have executors, don't they, Judge? Why, of course they do, you darn fool. What's that got to do with it? I dare say the executor of this particular estate would make a pretty penny in fees if this particular house were sold, would he not? It's just a set fee prescribed by statute. Answer my question. I did. All right. Now, who is the executor of this estate? Now, Gildy, that's neither here nor there. It just happens this particular executor prefers to remain anonymous. Oh, he does, eh? This particular executor wouldn't happen to be named Horace W. Hooker, would he, Horace Hooker? Well, it just happened. Case dismissed. Let's get to dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the first portion of The Great Gildersleeve Haunted House, starring Hal Perry from May 16, 1943, sponsored by Kraft, as heard on NBC. Let's take a break. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Do you love classic radio shows? Now you can receive 10 classic radio shows on five CDs every month by joining the Classic Radio Club. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club so fans can receive the best of the best from my library each and every month. Join now and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs, a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Then every month, I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows and mail them to you on five cds every show will be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show log on to classicradioclub.com to join and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five cds for only 4.99 that's classicradioclub.com or call toll free 888-642-6556 that's 888-642-6556 Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry. Then, Dorothy McGuire stars in The Spiral Staircase, a radio adaptation of the hit film from 1949. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today.